Thursday, March 23rd. We welcome you to the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, and uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Vickers and Steinberg from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. So, as we get set for a Thursday night game against Vegas, the uh, well, the conversation lingers about the head coach and Nazem Kadri and all of what has been swirling around the Calgary Flames over the last little bit. That uh, conversation remains valid as we enter this game against Vegas. Teams back at home and facing the media at home for the first time since Elliot Friedman made those comments on the 32 Thoughts podcast on Monday and since the 8-2 debacle also on Monday. And there's there's obviously something going on here. And yes, we in the media, I would uh, point fingers at all of my colleagues, and then I would Ooh. point the finger at myself. Okay. Um, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not just pointing the finger. I am not innocent. We are definitely making. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say we're making a big deal out of this, but we are chasing the story, and we are definitely going hard after the story because, yeah, there's something there, and and this has been something that is. I don't want to say been blown out of proportion, but has definitely been made a story and has has remained in the news cycle. Kadri's ice time has been down. It's being buzzed about all over Twitter. The relationship between Daryl and Nazem Kadri, the relationship between Daryl and Jonathan Huberdeau, uh, the relationship between Daryl and potential other players on this team. So the reports or the the innuendo that is out there is a rift between let's let's just talk about Kadri because that's who we're we're going to hear from Daryl and we're going to hear from Nazem in just a second. There's innuendo out there that suggests there's a rift between them. Uh, I don't know if that I, I don't know if it goes to that extent. I think it is at the very least fair to say though that yeah they, there have been stretches this year where they haven't agreed with one another, right? And both sides were quizzed about this whole thing after morning skate. Uh, first head coach Daryl Sutter was asked a couple of questions this morning. When a player maybe is playing a couple minutes less per night than he's used to, as a coach, do you, do you talk to the guy about this is what you have to do to get back? Or? Not at all. The only, only thing a coach has got on a player now is ice time. So anybody talks about that, they shouldn't be talking about coaches or any of that stuff or, or deep analysis. They should just be looking at the player's performance. <coughs> Very simple. There's, there's not much around that at all. I guess the onus is on the player to figure out how that to get back. That would be 100%, business. especially if it's a veteran player. It's a young player. You're trying to work him, work him through it, right? keeping him off or keeping him away from certain guys, things like that, or managing schedules, as you've talked about with some of our younger players. But the veteran players, if they're still capable of being a good player, then that's on them. And I think we all have a pretty good guess as to who Daryl was referring to there. Um, and, and let's be honest, he's been critical of, of Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberdeau multiple times over the last little while, and he's he's referenced veteran guys, and it, it feels like those are the two that 
we've interpreted him talking about most, right, Jonathan yeah. and, and Najem. And, and for good reason, they're both having years that are, are well below what we expected them to be and what the Flames needed them to be coming into this season. Well, it's so the question was prefaced as when you have a veteran who's seen a drop in ice time. Well, it's very clearly Nazem Kadri. Kadri through the first five months of the season averaged seventeen forty-five. And by the way, just, just, and just just before we go any further, that was that was uh, our buddy Salim at TSN yes. who asked those questions. So I wanted to make sure. And 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 it's not like TSN was the only uh, outlet chasing the story. So it's not like they're they're making a mountain out of a molehill or anything like that. We were all interested in the story today, and and so there, there's there's nobody here that is is trying to sensationalize something or, or anything like that. Well, it's certainly not uh, sensationalizing it when you just simply look at the numbers because through the first five months of the season, Nazem Kadri averaged 17.45. That was seventh overall, including defensemen who are typically going to take up your at least your top four spots. Since the flip of the calendar to March, 14.48, 12th most on the team. So he's down three minutes a game. So when the question is posed, when you have a veteran who's seen a significant drop in ice time, yeah, it's really easy to identify that it's Nazem Kadri. And listen, he's coming from a team that had just won a cup with a, a quote-unquote player-friendly coach. So he's more than aware that there's multiple ways to go about hoisting Lord Stanley's Cup. You can do it with the whip. You can do it with the carrot. And... It's no secret Nazem Kadri has struggled this year. He's got 49 points in 72 games. Last year in 71 games, he had 87 points. So there's bound to be some frustration regardless. But it's interesting when you hear and see in some of the comments in and around the Calgary Flames and in and around the relationship between Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberto. Yeah, these questions are going to be asked the first instance you have the opportunity to back here in Calgary. This was uh, Nazem who was asked about it uh, after morning skate on Thursday as well. It's been fine. You know, it's been fine. Obviously, uh, you know, throughout an 82-game season, you know, you're going to have rough patches. And, um, you know, not everything is going to go your way throughout, you know, eight months of, of playing. So it's about how you bounce back and uh, how you fight that adversity. And, you know, that's something I've been pretty good at throughout my career. So this is, uh, this is no different. So that's Nazem Kadri asked about his relationship with Daryl Sutter and, and, you know, played it down as, as Jonathan Huberdeau did, what, about a month and a half ago yep. when the Alan Walsh tweet came out? Like, they, they both players have done a good job of playing it down and, and not turning it into even a larger firestorm circus, than, yeah. than, or, or circus than it already is. Look, I know there have been instances when players haven't been on the same page as the coach this year. And, and I think those instances come to the forefront or become a little bit more difficult to deal with or become stories even on the outside a little bit more when your team is underachieving like the Flames are right now. And the Flames are underachieving. Or if they're not underachieving, they're definitely not meeting the expectations that many had for them coming into the season. And so when you're not winning more than you're losing, and the Flames have lost more than they have won this year, whether they've gotten the 15 loser points or not, they have lost more games than they have won games this year. And when you're losing more than you're winning, I think some of these things become maybe a little bit more difficult to brush to the side. And so last year, I don't think Daryl was any different in his approach last year. Right. But the team was winning at you know the second highest pace in franchise history. So I think it's a little bit easier to not butt heads and a little bit easier to let water roll off your back on, on both sides of the equation. 
this year the results aren't there, and, and that, I believe, becomes significantly less easy to do. Winning cures all. No matter Absolutely. what's going on in the room between players or between coach and player in the coach's room or you name it, if you're winning, it's so much easier to park whatever's going on. Let me roll it back a little bit because I want to ask you this question. Nazem Kadri was asked about his relationship and communication with Daryl Sutter. It's been fine. It's been fine. Yep. Do you read anything into the repeat, it's been fine, or am I just grasping at straws a little bit? Because I heard that and I was kind of like, well, that's an interesting way to, to start the, the conversation, if you will. I don't know. How, what, what did you read into it? Well, it was just like, it's been fine, it's been fine. And then you mentioned, you know, fighting through that adversity. Now, I don't necessarily think that might have been specifically towards the head coach, but just the, it's like, a, how's, how's your relationship going, Pat? Huh, it's been fine. It's been fine. You know what? You know what I what what that stuck out to me is that it sounded very similar to what Jonathan Huberdeau said, where he said, "Yeah, you know what? Sometimes you're going to love the coach." To paraphrase, sometimes you're going to love the coach, sometimes you're not, or sometimes you're you're going to be happy with them, sometimes you're not. That that's kind of the the same feel I got from from Kadri when listening to him. Sort of the at the end of the day, it is what it is kind of yeah. narrative or yeah. cliche. All right, fair enough. I was just curious about that because when I heard it, I was kind of like, eh, "It's been fine." Like, I'm not saying you're wrong though. I just that that hadn't. Well, I'm not up. saying I'm not saying I'm right. I think so. you are. I think you're saying that I'm wrong. Well, I mean, how can you be so wrong, looking so right in that uh, knit tie and blue dress shirt, well, Patrick? Thank you very much. I Matches your eyes. I appreciate. No, it sure, surely oh. doesn't. My eyes are uh, extremely dark and not blue. Uh, I just, it's why I'm so fascinated about this final 10-game stretch. So the Flames have less than three weeks remaining in the regular season. Their final game uh, is Wednesday, April 12th, so we're less than three weeks away from the end of the regular season. They have 10 games to go, seven of them played here on home ice at the Scotiabank Saddledome. And I don't know what to, to what extent some of the the outside stuff is true. I, I, know, I know what I believe Right, like I believe that, yeah, there have been that this at times has been a disjointed room, um, or a fractured room, or whatever term you want to use. I think that is true, and I think at times this year there have been multiple veterans, not just Huberto and Kadri, who have you know not been on the same plane or the same page or seen fully eye to eye with the head coach. Those are the things that I I believe to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. What I don't know is to the extent some of our text line throws out there is true or some of what you see on Twitter is true. And, and you see it all. You know, there's, there's one faction of Flames fan accounts that, that's talking about how Daryl's not the problem. It's all about these entitled new players and they're the issue. Or on the other side, it's about how Daryl doesn't relate to the, to the player these days and his old school approach is garbage and, and you can't win with that approach. And... and or he's lost the room, or they've quit on him. I don't know to what extent some of this right. innuendo is true or not, but I do know that there it, it has not been full-on smooth sailing this year. And so if it's as bad as some people think, if, if whatever side that you're, you're taking, if it's as bad as some people think, does the group wave the white flag down the final 10 to say we're done and, and that's what we see? Or does it go the other way? And do they use this as a rallying point? This isn't true. We're better than this. Our room is better than this. None of this crap is true. And they use it as a rallying point, And they really make this interesting with 20 points still on the table. Or they go 4-4-2, four, four, and, and it's the same old story. But I am fascinated if one of those two things happen. Um, and, and if we see 
either them just roll over and say, no, we're done. This, it's just it's not happening this year. We need a change. Or do they respond to it in a positive way and, and start to roll out some really good re- results kind of night after night after night here? Well, let me answer your question with another question. Is the record that the Calgary Flames have and the fact that they're on the outside looking in because of it, is it the symptom of what plagues the Flames? Or is it the cause and what's going on? Like, is what's the initial cause and what's the result? Are the Calgary Flames, you know, on the outside looking in, chasing down the Winnipeg Jets, and by extension, somewhat the Nashville Predators, because of this, uh, I don't want to call it a so-called riff, or the, 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 the situation surrounding the Calgary Flames, or is the situation surrounding the Calgary Flames what it is because they've got these distractions going yeah. on? And, and how it f- shakes down in the final 10 games of the season... I guess it's to be determined, but I don't think that this is necessarily a group with that veteran leadership that's going to go, ah, you know what, we're okay just sandbagging it for the rest of the, you know, three weeks that we have here and we'll go on into the off season and hopefully everything resets in the summer. I don't necessarily see the group taking that kind of approach. I don't know. I, I, I don't think so either. I mean, a, a team with, with guys who have been to Stanley Cup finals and who have won Stanley Cups and who have created reputations on being performers when it matters the most, I don't know if I see that happening either, but I also know what I saw Monday in Los Angeles, which as much as they bounce back against Anaheim the following night, yeah. I still can't completely forget the way that – they actually did look like they were waving white flags on Monday. So I and 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 I don't know if they actually were, but there were definitely times when that body language on the bench looked like this was a pretty defeated group, fully defeated group. And so I don't know. I I don't know, and I don't think that in my head. I'm with you. I don't think that that's what we see, but I I, I honestly don't know what to expect in these final ten. And that you know what, so they were three, four, and four in February. Six four and two in January, <laughs> and they're five four and two in March. So if they were to go four four and two in their final ten, it'd be perfect. It'd be very much on brand. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happens when you don't have longer than a three game win streak all season. I don't even have have they broken that stretch since uh, December third to seventh, where they uh, was that the last time they put three together? Yep. Still, yep. I think we've been talking about that for we a haven't. Month. Well, because they haven't won three in a row. <laughs> I mean, touche if the shoe fits, wear it. Uh, I kind of wonder, and I'm not like I'm not comparing these two situations, but Bob Hartley, when he was around here, it seemed like the players won as a group, as a collective, in spite in of him? spite of him, or to spite, or him? to spite him. Even though you know, makes the coach look really good when you're able to put performances like that with the roster they had. I'm not suggesting that it's the same thing here, but my general impression is, if you're unhappy. Again, we talked about it off the top. Winning cures all. So why don't you just go out and win, whether it's for the guy next to you or the guy behind the bench. doesn't matter. Just go out and win. That's why I don't, I don't buy into any white flag narrative. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's hit the text line at 960-960. Uh, this says, is anyone else exhausted of Daryl spending way more effort on messing with the media and making a point with lineups instead of just putting the best roster on the ice? I can't wait for this guy to either get to his actual job or 
leave. Um, this says winning cures all. I bet Matthew Kachuk got a bigger nudge out when uh, Daryl got re-signed. He was already gone when Daryl signed his contract yes. extension. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was traded in July. Daryl got his contract extension in September. Uh, this says, uh, lol, tell your partner <laughs> it's fine and see how they react. Good couple point. of those. couple yeah. of those. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. How are you feeling? Fine. Hey, babe, how you doing? I'm fine. Whew. Good point. That's a fair point. Now, it wasn't that tone. It That's wasn't true. that tone. I, I am, and tone I am, is important. Tone but is important. even still, the word fine is a really... Eh. Or as this says, if it's anything like when your wife says it's fine, yeah, it's not fine. Um, this from Blair and Airdrie. Question is, are the Flames playing the coach's system and losing, or are they not playing the coach's system? I think for the most part, they have played the way they're designed to play just not with optimal results. I so. mean, you can consistently bet the over on the opposing goalie's save total. That's Daryl's system, his shot volume system, and I don't know, what is it, like 80%, 90% of the time they, well, they eclipse that, Rark? When, when you think of Daryl Sutter, the head coach, you think of high shots yep. and high shot attempts for low shots, low shot attempts, l- low slot chances against yes. four, and the Flames are in all of those categories. If you go take a look at their five-on-five rates, so I'll just go pull it up right now uh, as we do this on March 23rd. So uh, their shot attempts, four per 60 minutes, number three in the NHL. So they're the number three shot volume team in the NHL. Only three, hey? Well, I got some pretty good teams ahead of I them. I mean, still. Carolina, Florida. This is just This is just full-on... Shot volume, not yep. not shots for and against. This is uh, just four. When it comes to shot attempts against, number two in the NHL, which makes them the number two five-on-five possession team by shot share. Shots four per game, number two. Shots against per 60 minutes, number two. And finally, high danger scoring chances for and against. Four is is the one that, again, is a little frustrating, but high danger chances against per 60 minutes, number five in the NHL. And their high danger chances four per 60 minutes, they rank number 17. That's the only place that... You could, and this is, I think, very much a part of or or a function of the way they play, but they're the number three shot volume four team, but only 17 of converting those to the really high quality chances, right? Whereas Carolina is number one in both. They are number one in shot volume. And number one in slot opportunities. Florida, number two in shot volume, number two in slot opportunities. So... Florida and Carolina are creating a lot, and it's all dangerous. Like, they're getting a lot of dangerous pucks towards the net. The Flames are getting a lot of pucks towards the net. Not as much dangerous. And I very much believe that the eye test backs that up as well. I think it very much does this year. <laughs> you go fancy, I'll go old school. Yep, I think, you know what? The and we'll shake hands on it. I, I, uh-huh. I uh-huh. Nice. You know, we could have touched. We're right across the, uh, right across the table. From I didn't the, think you wanted to after I got your eye color wrong. That's a fair point. Um, this says, I've got a question. If you're a veteran and you must know Sutter's style, why would you sign a contract with the Flames? Well, I mean, when you've got, for instance, $84 million or $49 million. Or $49 million. That, th- those would be some reasons. Um if this team wasn't so bad with a player's coach, then Treliving wouldn't have needed to fire Jeff Ward and hire a hard-ass like Daryl. Um, this says uh, Gary in Haysboro, uh, the city needs to relax with all the complaining. Stop with the Sutter talk. Stop with the Phillips narrative. It's exhausting. Um, 
This says, the problem is bringing important core centerpieces into a new organization and expecting them to have the same pride and give a bleep meter the same way homegrown and developed players do. Uh, This from Jim in Calgary. I haven't liked the tone of Sutter's pressers for a while now. I don't think he cares one bit about being canned. Um... This says, do the 77 posts count as shots? They do not. But they do count as shot attempts. Yes. And shot attempts, to me, is more telling uh, than, um, than just shots. Shots important. I still think the shot attempts is a more telling stat of, of how much time a team is spending in the opposing zone and how many of those shots are of the high-quality variety. Uh, and Wedley says... Um, Art, how's my work? It's fine, Pat. It's fine. And that's usually what I get. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. It'll pass. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I am a passable Pat. Here. Pat they, pass first, Pat. That's what they call me. Passable Pat. Uh, no, are you kidding me? I'm not passing. I'm all, first of all, I got no offensive skill. My offensive instincts are awful. I'm a good stay-at-home D-man when I play. And so I'm not shooting. I feel like you're more like Charlie Conway before Gordon Bombay shows up. Keep swinging, Charlie. Maybe you'll give him a cold. (laughs) Just fall flat on your face. Am I off there? Triple deke, baby. I'm a decent decent stay-at-home D. Okay. For low-level beer league hockey. Decent stay-at-home D. Um... If the Flames want to make the playoffs, they have to play playoff hockey in the last 10 games. Let's see what they're made of. And that's kind of why I throw that question out there. I don't know what to expect in this final 10. I, I really don't. Uh, and it's going to be fascinating to find out. Pat and Vickers with it. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, remember an extra 10 games ago where it's like, well, if the Calgary Flames find a way into the playoffs, ooh, they might be a tough out in the first round because they're going to have to play it like a 750, 775 clip. Well, here we are now. Ten games left, four back, maybe five, depending on how the tiebreaker goes. Like You're basically going to have to pass the Jets, not just tie them in order to get the spot. And it's not, Jets haven't been world beaters either, so there is a conceivable way where the Calgary Flames can actually limp into the playoffs and make it. And I mean, essentially, when you take a look at the, the tragic number for Calgary or Winnipeg's magic number and you take a look at the tiebreaker, I know we say they're four points back, but I, realistically they're five yep. out of the playoffs because... And unless Winnipeg only wins in overtime and shootout, and unless Winnipeg doesn't win very much at all, which who knows? Again, Could happen. Crazier things have happened, but the Flames are behind the eight ball in every tiebreaker that will actually matter. Um, they're only, I mean only, but they're four back of regulation wins, and then if they're able to tie that, what really sucks is that they're nine back of regulation overtime wins, which is the next tiebreaker. So they're, they're not... Um, they're, they're, they're not in a good spot that way. So Winnipeg's elimination number or magic number is 8.5 on Calgary, but it's really 8. So 16 points. Essentially, if the Jets go 8-2, and two, it will not matter if the Flames go 10 for 10. They'll still miss. That's, that's essentially what we're talking about right now, unless they're able to get one of those tiebreakers in their favor. Now, not to uh, throw another wrinkle into your plans, but would you rather be the Calgary Flames, who are, what, four back, essentially five back, at even games with Winnipeg or Nashville, who is one point back of the Flames, uh, but have three in hand on both. I mean, schedules considered. Yeah, I don't like Nashville's schedule. That's that's where I don't like. I 
I don't like Nashville's schedule. One of the hardest so I, from I here still, on out. I still would – I don't care about Calgary's schedule because it doesn't seem to matter who they play. <laughs> they lay eggs and have really good games, and it's Groundhog Day. But I do care about Nashville's schedule, and it's very difficult. Uh, I think it's 31 of 32 on the – or 2 of 32 on the difficulty scale, depending on how you yep. look at it, uh, or, or the most difficult. Like, they – They've got an extremely tough schedule. And if they get in, they deserve to be in. I'll say that much. If they do what they need to to leapfrog the Flames and the Jets, they'll deserve to be in the playoffs. And they'll have a red-hot UC Saros, and who they did not have in the playoffs last year. Uh, they'll have a healthy Roman Yo. Like they, they'll be scary even with their depleted lineup because of how well they're playing. I just... I don't think it's going to happen for him just because of that schedule. And Roman Yossi day-to-day now, too. I know, and Yossi hasn't played for a little bit here. Well, and so. at this point, day-to-day might be week-to-week or month-to-month. Nobody's really going to admit that their star player is, is gone for the season. That's this stretch, true so. at this point. And, and yet, they went and rolled up seven on Buffalo without him a couple of days ago, so who knows. Um couple of other things, just quickly. Uh, I saw some upset that Jacob Markstrom is going against Vegas in this game. And I guess I can understand it because of the way things have gone all year. But there's a couple of things. Number one... They're using Markstrom as their one until there's no many. There, there's no more meaningful games left. When there are no longer any meaningful games left, I think the goaltending conversation gets thrown into a blender. I think Vladar and even Dustin Wolf, potentially even Oscar Dansk, would get games. I, depending on how many games that don't mean anything are left, we'll see on that front. But for right now. Markstrom's the one, Vladar's the two. That does not mean Markstrom starts every game, but it means that Markstrom's being used as the one. So he had a rough couple of games against Dallas and Los Angeles. He got the rest against Anaheim. So I think, of course, you're going back to him against Vegas. So I I don't have a problem with them going to, to Markstrom. The way he had played an eight consecutive prior to the last two had really been promising. So I, I think going to Jacob is the right move. And you know what? To, to steal, I think, Derek's term about a month ago. Like, if you're going to go down, you might as well go down with the guy that you're paying six mil, the guy that, that finished second in Vesna voting yep. last year, the guy that, you know, you came into the season trusting to be your guy. I don't have a problem with them doing that. And the guy that's going to be your number one when the season starts next year. And I understand the angst. He's won one and two with a 4.74 goals against and an 8.13 save percentage since March 14th. Not ideal. But before that, he was 1.99 and a 9.36. Daryl said all along, well, not all along, but at a certain point, they were going to ride Jacob Markstrom as their number one because if they're going to make the playoffs, they need him to be their number one. He had a rough stretch, but he's still their number one. I, again, I get the angst. It doesn't just extend to the last week. It extends all season long. But again, he is your $6 million man and your de facto number one. Vesna runner-up last year. Makes sense. You're, you're either going to make it or you're not with Jacob Markstrom. Yep. Uh, a couple months ago, um, this trend began, and I wanted to draw attention to what we're going to see Thursday on the ice uh, with uh, all of Calgary's helmets. There's going to be a uh, really special snowy strong sticker on, I believe, the left side yes. of the back of everyone's helmets tonight. And here's kind of the inspiration. I'm just going to read this uh, word for word from, obviously, we know that Chris Snow continues his, uh, his battle 
and and let's be honest, his his courageous and really difficult battle yes. with with ALS. And this comes from Kelsey, uh, Chris's other half, Chris's wife, and and the other half of of the ridiculously strong Snow family. Courageous. Um, and and I just want to and and Willa and Cohen are the uh, are the two children in the family. And so I just want to read you this. This is verbatim from Kelsey Snow and where the stickers came from and what you'll be supporting when you see them tonight and if you go to the website that I'm going to pass out to you in just a couple seconds as well. Uh, Again, this is verbatim right from Kelsey Snow. A couple of months ago before one of Willa's U9 hockey games, the team manager Tova Stewart approached me and showed me these stickers. She had drawn and created them herself. She's an amazing artist from another mom on our team, Sarah Booth. um, After another mom on our team, rather, Sarah Booth had approached her with the idea for them. Sarah lost a sister to ALS some years ago and so has a very personal connection to the disease and wanted to find a way to show the team's support of Willa and our family. Tova had about 200 stickers printed. They thought Willa's team would wear them and maybe Cohen's and some other friends' teams in our community, the Northwest Warriors. Tova put them on her website to see if she could raise a little money to donate to Snowy Strong. In the time since, we've sold more than 6,000 stickers all over Canada and the United States and so far raised $10,000. As the minor hockey season went on, we saw them on the helmets of so many teams, whether we knew someone on that team or not. It's been such an incredible thing. Tova called them the little stickers that could, and that has been so apt. They've now gone from the Uni Northwest Cactus Warriors to the NHL's Flames. Amazing. We'd love if you could uh, share the website where the stickers can be purchased. And that website, I'll give it to you here, but if you just go to my Twitter or or the Flames Twitter or lots of other Twitter, um, you can you can actually click it and see the website. Uh, I'll give it to you here, um, and then also you can uh, go find it on, on my Twitter or elsewhere. The website is tovashan.com so t-o-v-a-s-h-a-n.com tovashan.com you can go right there and click through and find it or you can go to and or you can type this in tovashan.com slash shop slash p slash snowy strong one more time tovashan.com slash shop slash p slash snowy strong or you can um just go to tovashan.com and click through that way. Uh, and if you would like to purchase some of these Snowy Strong stickers, all the proceeds go to the Flames Foundation uh, for ALS research. 100%, not a single cent goes anywhere but there. And then the Flames Foundation will then uh, translate that money to some of the people they're working with, some of the groups they're working with for ALS research. So if you want one of the Snowy Strong stickers that you'll see very prominently featured on tonight's telecast on Sportsnet West or more, that's where you can go get them. Yeah, tovashan.com backslash shop as well, and it pops right up on your left hand okay. side. Can't miss it. Okay. Good to know. Uh, That is very good to know. Uh, Okay, Uh, let me tell you this. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Pat Steinberg, Aaron Vickers. Uh, And it's not the downtown studio. It's the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. 
Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Thursday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Loyalty customers save up to 0.99 interest rates on all in-stock 2022 models, only until this Saturday, only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hill. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Guys, the Flames get set to take on the Vegas Golden Knights this Thursday night. It'll be the fourth time in five games we'll see Jacob Pelche sit as a healthy scratch. And Derek, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit when talking about Nick Ritchie on Wednesday's roundtable, but... Now that we know Pelche will not be coming back in and will will remain out, so four of the last five. I'll just I'll just ask it very open ended. What do we think about Jacob Pelche being healthy scratched four times in Calgary's last five games? Well, I'm a firm believer that young players have to play to develop, but I also think that there's some learning that can be done by practicing with the team and watching a team. I'm not sure where he's watching games from when he's a healthy scratch, but I don't think it would be the worst idea for him to watch a game from the Peter Maher Radio broadcast booth, sponsored by South Point Toyota, because it's so much slower when you're watching it from up there. You can see things that you wouldn't be able to see down at ice level or when you're watching the game on television. So I do think that there are some things that he can take away from being a healthy scratch, but ultimately, if he's going to take another step forward, I think he's got to play. And if he's not going to play in the NHL, then at some point, if this continues, you probably want to send him back down to the AHL. It's easy to call him up. Uh, your farm team plays in the same building that you do. But I do think that Jacob Peltier has shown us enough for me to believe that if the Flames do get into the playoffs, that he'll stay up. If they don't, then you probably set him down to hopefully go on a long run in the Calder Cup playoffs, which I do think can help his development. Uh, he has tailed off a little bit, uh, was more productive uh, early in his tenure here, and now he's pointless in eight, goalless in ten, and uh, has been a healthy scratch in three of the last four, and tonight it'll make it for the last five. So I'd like to see him play, but I also understand why he's not playing right now. The Flames have to win hockey games, and Jacob Pelche has three goals in 23 games, and Nick Ritchie has three goals in seven games. So right now, Richie's the more productive player. Uh, he's a veteran player. He's a player with size. All of those things are things that Daryl Sutter likes and are probably working against a smaller, younger player in Jacob Pelche. So I'd like to see him play sooner rather than later. And if that's not with the Flames, then maybe it should be with the Wranglers. Yeah, I'll echo a little bit of that. And Pelche did stress earlier in the year that when he was recalled and scratched in sixth straight before making his NHL debut, those scratchings actually helped him. He got to learn a lot both mm-hmm. on and off the ice about what the expectation is, about how to present yourself, carry yourself, what the NHL lifestyle is all about, what the demands are game in, game out, because it is a lot different from the American Hockey League. But to me, he adds something that the Flames need, and that's speed. He hasn't been a liability for me defensively. He's been quite good at 200 feet for my liking. Yes, the production has not been there. To me, that's more of a 
thing that's been he's been around it but hasn't found it. So I'm not like throwing up red flags when he hasn't scored in 10 straight or hasn't had points in eight straight because he hasn't been a liability elsewhere. To me, he's something that the Flames need, some enthusiasm, some speed, some excitement, some encouragement on the bench. We've seen how he carries himself regardless of not producing. He's the happiest guy in the world when a puck goes <laughs> in the opposing net regardless of whether he's involved or not. And I think there's a case to be made, and I think Daryl Sutter actually made it at one point post-deadline where Lucic and Richie are kind of similar players in similar roles. And to me, Walker Dewar solidified his spot in the lineup. So you have these two players that can play a similar role for you. So why not use one of those two spots, get Peltier in, bring some of that enthusiasm back, some of that energy that your team needs down the stretch. To me, I'd like to see him in sooner rather than later. Yeah, I just so so when he sat those two and came back in against LA, I was I was on board with okay. If if energy levels have dipped, sometimes that happens. Listening to Daryl Sutter talk about it, listening to Rasmus Anderson and Andrew Mangiapane talking about it on Saturday morning, I was like, okay. I I can buy that. I came back in, and despite the fact that he did commit um, a, a a bit of a giveaway late in the third period or in the third period of the eight two loss it led directly to a goal um i still thought pelche was one of the only guys who noticeably wasn't awful against la on monday <laughs> what an endorsement well, yeah, I know what, what yeah. else am i going to say um but i thought i thought that he played with jump i thought that he I, I thought he was fine i didn't think that he deserved to come out of the lineup after the la game i thought there were plenty of other candidates that you could have pointed to instead of jacob and now we're talking about four out of five and i start to get a little bit worried as that continues so that that to me is is something where i i very much would like to see him back in sooner rather than later and if that's not going to happen I do think at some point there is a a little bit of a, I don't know, the, the law of diminishing returns and him staying on the NHL roster and just practicing yeah. doesn't make a ton of sense at some point. There's some threshold there when it happens. So I, I don't love it. I think he adds something when he's in. I think there's an enthusiasm and a pace that he brings. I didn't think he played himself out of the lineup on Monday in L.A., so I also would like to see him back in sooner rather than later. And it's funny, Pat, because you talked about the mistake that he made against the Kings. That mistake stands out for me because he doesn't make many mistakes. Yeah. Yep. He's a really responsible young player. And the bottom line is, with Daryl Sutter and with a lot of coaches, maybe even most coaches, veteran players get a longer leash, even though... The league is getting younger these days. And if you were to remove the names and numbers from the players' jerseys and just evaluate them based on how they're playing, I think you could make a strong case that since the All-Star break that Jacob Pelche's played at a higher level than Nazem Kadri. But Kadri hasn't come out and won't come out. Yeah. He's in the first year of a seven-year, $49 million deal. He won a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche last season. And you know, to his credit, I thought he had a lot more jump in his step against the Ducks on Tuesday night. So hopefully that's a jumping-off point for him. But, you know, Jacob Pauche has a very bright future. And we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out in the remaining 10 games this season. I'd like to see him back in sooner rather than later. And as we talked about yesterday, I don't think that necessarily means you have to take Nick Ritchie out. You can take somebody else out. Yeah. And I'm not sure that's going to be Walker Dewar. Number one, they play opposite sides. Nor do I think it should be Walker Dewar. Right. And they play different roles. Now, the good thing about Jacob Pelchier, or one of the good things about Jacob Pelchier, is unlike a lot of skilled players who play a top six role in the AHL, 
and can't play a bottom six role in the NHL, even though he's undersized, I think he can play a bottom six or even a fourth line role because his details are so good. So you don't necessarily have to put him into your top nine to play him. I think you could play him on the left side of your fourth line with Trevor Lewis and Walker Dewar. And Pat, you talked about pace. I'd give you a fourth line with a lot more pace than if you've got Milan Lucic and uh, Nick Ritchie playing on it. So I think there are other ways to get him in. Ritchie's done a really good job getting to the middle of the ice, which is something this team has struggled with. So I understand why the Flames want to keep him in the lineup. But there are also things that Pelche can do that some other guys can't. So maybe it's rotating him in and out with Milan Lucic. Maybe that's another way to get him in. Lucic played a pretty good game on Tuesday night, so I understand why they're leaving him in tonight. But it's going to be an interesting one to watch because uh, there are a lot of people in Calgary that are big Jacob Pelche fans and understand how important he is for the Flames' future and who want to see him play. And I still think that the best way for him to develop is to play and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later. The Calgary Flames are not in literal must-win territory, but they're in figurative must-win territory. And if I'm wound that tight right now, maybe some enthusiasm, some rambunctiousness, some head pats, and some trying to lift Elias Lindholm up after a goal and not really getting him too far off the ice, that infectious attitude, that smile, that energy, I think would serve this team well down the stretch. And, and as a smaller player who doesn't play small, I do wonder if he's worn down a little bit. This is an everyday league. Bigger, stronger, faster guys than in the AHL or in junior. And when you play the way he does, I think it takes a lot to do that. So maybe it's just a matter of, of as Daryl Sutter's talked about, managing Jacob Pelche's energy level. And when he feels like uh, a Jacob's back to where he needs to be in that regard, he'll be back in the lineup. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Aaron, Pat on this Thursday. Uh, Flames play their final game against division rival Vegas. Now, they're not catching Vegas, so this is not one of those four-point games head-to-head where they can make up ground. Vegas How do you know? Is, uh, I'm, I'm just... I'm, Still 20 points on the table, Pat. Not a mathematical impossibility. <laughs> you know, if they went 10-0 and and Vegas went 0-10, they would be five points ahead of yeah, them. So, you, you know what? They could... It, they're not going to catch Vegas. Vegas is the number one team in the West. They're 9-2-0 rather in their last 11. But the Flames are one of the teams that have given him the most trouble this year. You know, by all by all accounts, and we all saw it, they, they could very well be 3-0 and against Vegas this year. They're 2-0-1. Oh, uh, they finally have their first ever win at T-Mobile Arena. They beat him here early in the season. And the other game they lost was a really competitive comeback win for Vegas at home. Why Why has Calgary had the success they've had, the most success they've ever had in a season against the Vegas Golden Knights? Now they've got five of a possible six points, and to your point, probably should have six of six because they had a two-goal lead in the game they lost and wound up having to settle for one point instead of two. Why? Great question, Pat. I mean, you go back to the start of the season. It uh, feels like about 10 years ago now when the Flames started 3-0 and and then 5-1-0, and but their third game and their third win was a 3-2 come-from-behind victory over the Golden Knights. They trailed 2-0 in that game and scored three unanswered to win 3-2. And then in Game 2 of the season series, they had uh, a two-goal lead, let it slip through their fingers, but still managed to get a point. Alex Petrangelo scored the game-winner in that 4-3 OT victory for the Golden Knights. And then in the last meeting, uh, they finally get their first win at T-Mobile Arena. In their ninth game, six seasons 
into the Golden Knights' uh, tenure as an NHL team. The Flames finally win in Las Vegas, and they do it in style. 7-2, the final score in that game. And uh, a lot like in Game 2 of the season series, the Flames took a 2-0 lead in that game and really just ran away and hid from a Golden Knights team that looked like they lacked energy that night. And we've talked a lot about how tough the Flames' schedule has been in March. Well, the Golden Knights haven't had the easiest schedule either. And that was probably, for them, a schedule lost, not because of their who their opponent was, just because how tough their schedule was going into that game. So the Flames obviously have a lot of respect for the Golden Knights, as they should. Yep. They've, outside of last season, been great since coming into the league. So it's not a team they've taken lightly. And... Yeah, they've, they've found a way to pick up five of the possible six points. It's been impressive. I'm not sure I can put my finger on one reason why the Flames have had so much success against the Golden Knights this season. But, you know, with with the exception of uh, the third period in Game 2 of the season series, Flames have played at a pretty consistently high level against them this season. Well, it's simple. They've just outscored them 13-8 over the season series. That'll get you there two out of three yeah. wins and five out of six points. No, I can't even remember back to October 18th. I'm not going to lie. That was a lifetime ago, it feels, with this Ten years team. Ago. However, in their two wins, they've outshot Vegas 70-40. to 40. Like, that's a pretty big spread. And even in that game that went to overtime that they lost, shots were 28 Calgary, 29 for, for Vegas. So that one a little tighter. But chances are, if you outshoot them almost 2-1, to one, you can keep them at bay for at least a little bit. And the Calgary Flames did that early in the season. They did it in Vegas last week. We'll see what brings Saddledome time tonight. I believe the October game, uh, it was 2 nothing Vegas yeah. in that game, and Calgary came yeah. back and, and won. So, yeah, that's right. And but they, they didn't trail going into the third period because they still don't have a third period win yeah. when trailing after that's two periods. No, they don't, and uh, the Golden Knights have ten of them. Well, well and, what, uh, and I think it was – I don't, if I remember correctly, they weren't playing super poorly when they were down 2 nothing, and then their five, it's been their five-on-five five game that I have remarked at most in these three games, because in the game here early in the season, I really liked their five-on-five five game, and I came away from that. That was part of the, was that part of their five-and-one start? Yes. Uh, so yeah, they, they improved. He wasn't listening to what I was saying. Not they? at all. <laughs> they, they were 3-0 and oh to start. The I, third win was against the Golden Knights. I have a very short memory. He Goldfish. Spoke, he spoke yeah. after you, so. Yeah. In all fairness, he probably got lost in your eyes. We're having a big eyes conversation we today. Are. So it was part of their 5-1 and one start. Yeah, okay. yeah. They, they improved to 3-0 and oh with that 3-2 win. So I really liked their 5-on-5 five five game that night, and I've loved it in the two games in Vegas. The, the, yeah. The 7-2 game, whatever. But And I know that you talked about it being a scheduled loss. They still played really well, though, and had they won. I mean, really, that was a 3-2, 4-2 win that turned into a 7-2 mm-hmm. win. But their five-on-five five game was good all night. And their five-on-five five game was great despite them losing momentum in the second game. Uh, the first game, rather, where Vegas came back to win. I just, I've really liked how they've played at five-on-five, five, the way they've checked, the way they've limited. It's been really strong. They do that again tonight, especially with no Mark Stone as he remains out of the lineup. I, I think they've got a good chance of winning. Well, the other interesting thing is how many different goaltenders the Golden Knights have used, even in games against the Flames this season. So in the last game, we saw Jonathan Quick. First time the Flames have seen him since he joined the Golden Knights, and that is his only loss as a member of the Golden Knights. He gave up six in that 7-2 loss. And tonight we're going to see the Calgary native Logan Thompson, who's finally back after missing 18 games with a lower body injury. So there have been a bunch of different goaltenders for the Golden Knights in the season series. And, Pat, it's funny you talk about how good the Flames have been 5-on-5 five five against the Golden Knights because I think you could argue the Golden Knights have been the best 5-on-5 five five team in the NHL this season. They have had... 
the fewest number of power plays, and the fewest number of penalty kills in the league. Their bread and butter has been five-on-five hockey, and they've been really good at it, but I I like the point that you made that the Flames have actually been really good five-on-five against a really good five-on-five team in the Golden Knights. It's been good. Yeah. I wasn't ignoring you. I just have a very short memory. Well, that and you do about 12 different things trying to prep for this show and then Flames warm up and... Sometimes that's also true. He's got to keep smart. me in line from time to time. Like, I, it's I like a full-time it. gig. I like it when he's hosting the post-game show, and he's got the headset on one ear, and then he's got his uh, Apple earbuds in the other ear, and he's editing interviews. Like, literally, while he's talking, hosting the post-game show, he's editing interviews and uploading them into the system. I would have been mad at you for saying that before, but the big boss from Toronto saw me doing that, told Art, our, our <laughs> boss, and Art was like, could you stop doing that? I'm like... No, probably I not. I kind of need to I do kinda, it. Like, I'm, I'm if gonna, I don't do it, who's going to do it? I'm just probably going to keep doing that and d- making the post-game show <laughs> nice and seamless. We have a very skeleton staff. we got to do things. <laughs> uh, we, we all got to take on extra jobs. You can pay extra for that, right? Thanks, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> well, see you later. Uh, he's Derek. He's Aaron. I'm Pat. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Enjoy up to 18000 delivery credit on cash purchases. The deal ends this Saturday only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Uh, starting to wrap up this hour. It's been a good week, Vix. It's been a good week on the oh. Flames Talk Best Bets. Let's get to them. Flames Talk Best Bets brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus play responsibly went two for two on wednesday so we're up to six and two on the week okay um nathan mckinnon over four and a half shots connor mcdavid over three and a half shots in the first period uh so he also hit his over uh so we're up to six and two on the week i've got three for you on thursday uh whenever calgary and the golden knights play i always got to hit the over on points for william carlson he's got 23 and 21 career games versus the flames had one a week and a half ago or whenever they beat the flames or lost the flame 7-2 so i'll go eric carlson anytime point or over half a point um i'll also go patrice bergeron over three and a half shots bruins take on montreal and i'll go nick ehlers of the jets over three and a half shots in anaheim so carlson over half a point william carlson Patrice Bergeron over three and a half shots. Nick Ehlers over three and a half shots. Those are your Thursday best bets for me. What do you got? Uh, how do you feel about Alex Petrangelo over 1.5? He's hitting four straight and 71 on the season. And then sprinkle in maybe, like, what do you think out of Nazem Kadri today? His shot line's two and a half. He's hit in one in a row, but 67% on the season. Nazem at two and a half, I'm always a fan of. I think so. I think there might be a little burr. Could be. There could be a burr. Where would that burr be? I don't know what words the, I'm allowed to say on the radio. In the, so in the saddle, saddle. yes, in the saddle, in the saddle dome. Well, that'll do it for this hour of Flames Talk. That may be the last time you ever hear Aaron Vickers on Flames Talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for I was going to do the George Costanza. Well, I'm out. <laughs> uh, Time I'm hitting the old dusty trail. Uh, Vickers is on Twitter with all of his dad jokes at AA Vickers. Uh, Cam and Taylor have been our producers. I'm Pat, and that'll do it for this hour. That'll do it for your Flames Talk Best Bets. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly.